I should like to call your attention this evening to the words which are to be found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, in the fourth chapter and the nineteenth verse. The nineteenth verse in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this, you notice, is the end of the quotation which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ read in the synagogue of Nazareth out of the 61st chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. So let us again remind ourselves of the full statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We come back again, in other words, to this central and most important statement. People often ask the question, what is the message of Christianity? What is it about? What has it got to say? What has Christ got to give? Well, here is his own answer to the question. For having read out these words in that synagogue in Nazareth, he then uh, sat down and began to say, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This, he says, is an account of why I've come. This is the complete statement concerning me and concerning my mission in the world. Therefore, we can have no better answer to that question as to what exactly the gospel is and what the gospel says than that which we have in these very words. Now, we've been looking at that 18th verse phrase by phrase. But now we come on to this 19th verse. What is this? Well, here, in a sense, is a summary of all that has been said in verse 18. But it's more than that. It goes beyond it. It adds to it. And it is, therefore, a very vital part of the whole statement. Perhaps we can best look at it by putting it like this. This statement is a kind of climax to all the others. But it's not only that, I say. There is something about this which is essentially different in its character and in its nature. And the best way, perhaps, of looking at it is to put it in this form. In verse 18, we have our Lord describing his work in a more or less negative manner. He has come, he tells us in verse 18, to undo the evil effects and consequences of sin. Sin leads to certain consequences. Why has he come? Well, he's come to undo them. He's come to deliver us from them. He's come to deal with that poverty, that brokenheartedness. He's come to deal with that captivity. He's come to deal with that blindness. He's come to deal with our bruises. He, first of all, you see, by means of these pictures in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, he, first of all, says, well, now, there's your condition. And the only people who are ever going to listen to the gospel and to whom it's going to be good news are those who have been brought to see that that is their condition as the result of sin. There are many people tonight who see nothing at all in the Christian message, in the Christian gospel. Why not? The real answer is, it's the only answer. Uh, namely, that they've never really seen themselves. They don't know the truth about themselves. If they did, they would then see immediately that this message is the most glorious good news that has ever come into the world. Very well, then, there he puts it deliberately in that form. Those who know their unutterable poverty in a spiritual sense must thank God for this message. Those who know what it is to be broken-hearted about themselves and to be miserable 
to be almost beyond consolation in a human sense. They know when they hear this gospel that it is indeed the most glorious thing, I say, that's ever come into the world. Beauty, a coronet instead of ashes, a garment of praise instead of sackcloth. What a transformation. And anybody who has realized his utter captivity to sin, any man who's awakened to the fact that he's a slave, a moral slave, how he rejoices at a proclamation which tells him that the bars of iron are to be broken down, the gates of brass are to be smashed, the strong man armed himself is taken captive, and the way of liberation lies open before him. Is there any better news that can ever come to a blind man than to be told that here at last is a heavenly physician who can give new power into his optic nerve and enable him to see again? A man who hasn't been seeing the glories of creation for years suddenly is able to see. It's good news. And likewise, the man with his bruises. Well, I say, there, in a sense, is a negative approach. You start with the patient with the diseased condition. And you are told that he's come to deal with that and to rectify that and to bring us out of it all. But here, in the 19th verse, he puts the truth to us in a positive form. Here, he shows us what it is we receive. And still more interesting in a way as to why it is and how it is that we do receive it. Therefore, that is our subject this evening. He has come, he tells us, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does it mean? Well, let me give you some other translations. You might say that he has come to preach Jehovah's year of grace. Or, if you prefer it, you can say that he has come to preach the year of the pleasure of Jehovah, of God. It means, if you like, a time in which God delights to bless his people. That's the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, says our Lord, that's what I've come to do. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's what I've come. I've come as a great announcer. I've got a proclamation. He's a kind of herald, he tells us. He's a man who is announcing good news. And the good news is that the year of God's good pleasure, the year of God's manifestation of his grace, is beginning, is coming in. That's how he puts it. Well, now, no doubt that uh, the prophet Isaiah, when he wrote that phrase, was thinking quite specifically, as our Lord undoubtedly was also, as he repeats it and uh, makes use of it, no doubt that they were thinking of the year of Jubilee, which was uh, celebrated by God's command by the children of Israel under the Old Testament dispensation. Now I read to you that section uh, from the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus at the beginning in order that we might have that clearly in our minds. We can't really understand this unless we understand something about that. What was it? Well, let me remind you of it. What it said was this. It was a part of God's rule and law for the children of Israel that every seventh year they were to give the land a rest. The seventh year was to be a Sabbath unto the Lord. They were to stop the cultivation of the land, and they were just to eat that which came spontaneously, that which, as it were, God provided directly. Every seventh year they are to do that. But, in addition, at the end of every 49 years, Seven years of seven, making 49 years. At the end of every 49th year, there was to be a special year. Again of rest, a Sabbath unto the Lord, and it was called the year of Jubilee. And there were certain things that were to happen during that year of Jubilee. 
Here were the chief things. During that year of Jubilee, every slave was to be set free. If any of the children of Israel, because they'd become very poor because of circumstances and had sold themselves as slaves to another, when the year of Jubilee came, they had a right to be free. Indeed, it was a commandment of God to their owners to set them free. During the year of Jubilee, not only was the land to have rest, but all the slaves were to be set at liberty. In addition, during the same year of Jubilee, every debt was to be remitted and was to be discharged. If some of the children of Israel owed money to others, those who were the creditors were told to cancel the debt. All debts were canceled. They were absolutely remitted. The books were crossed out. It was cleared. They no longer owed anything. All debtors were also made free, as well as all the slaves. That was a part of God's commandment. And the third thing that happened was this. If a man had lost his possession of land, for various causes or reasons, during this year of Jubilee, he was to be given back his possession. Every man was to have back his possession, his land, his portion. Now these things, you see, were by the direct commandment of God. And you remember how this year was to be proclaimed. The details are so important. And here we are having a marvelous illustration this evening of the way in which there is a perfect correspondence between the Old Testament and the New the Old Testament is nothing but a preparation for the new. That's why it's important for us to read it always. God was there giving four views of what he was going to do in Christ. So you notice the way in which the year of Jubilee was to be introduced. The proclamation of the beginning of the year of Jubilee was to be made on the Day of Atonement. The day when the sins of the people were atoned for for another year was the day of the commencement of the year of Jubilee. And on that day, according to these instructions, you remember, a trumpet was to be blown. God commanded these people to take a ram's horn and to make of this ram's horn a trumpet. And on the evening of this day of atonement, the trumpet was to be sounded. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. So that when they heard the sound of this trumpet, they knew that this wonderful, blessed 50th year the year of Jubilee had come in and all the debtors used to look forward to it and all the slaves and all the dispossessed. They say the year of Jubilee is coming. They were waiting for it. Suddenly they hear the trumpet. They know that it's come. The year of release, the year of liberation, the year of restoration. What a wonderful year. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that he has come to preach and to proclaim the year of God's jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord, that of which this old ceremonial was but a pale adumbration, a mere suggestion, a mere shadow, the day itself, the day of God, the great day of grace, the day of God's good pleasure, the day of the manifestation of the love and mercy and compassion of the Almighty God. That's why I've come, he says. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Very well, then. We interpret our Lord's statement in terms of what happened on the day of Jubilee. It tells us all about it. It's a wonderful summary of it all. You know, if a preacher only knows the scriptures, it'll save him a lot of bother and of time. My sermon is here for me in the 25th of Leviticus. I'm simply having the privilege of putting it before you. What's the message? Well, here's the first thing. 
The Lord says that he has come to announce a free salvation. The acceptable year of the Lord. The year of Jubilee. I say it is a proclamation of a year of grace. A year of the pleasure of Jehovah. Of God's good will towards men. Well, there it is, you see, again. It comes in the song of the angelic host when Jesus Christ was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Good will towards men. That's what Christ means. God's good will towards men. The year of the pleasure of Jehovah. Yes, but uh, let's notice what's emphasized here about it. It's all of God. What we are told in Leviticus 25 is not that uh, the children of Israel appointed leaders and they met in a council and having deliberated and having thought the thing through, they solemnly decided, well now, every 50th year, we will discharge debts, we'll set captives free and we'll restore property to people. Nothing of the sort. Quite the reverse. This isn't a decision of men, it is an ordinance of God. It's a proclamation from heaven. It's entirely God's good will and God's good pleasure. It's he who had the idea, if I may so speak. It's he who ever thought of doing it. And it's he who does it and commends it. That's the first thing to note and we must hold on to that. It's entirely God's action and God's will. The second thing we must emphasize is this. That all that was done during that year of Jubilee was done absolutely freely. Here's a man in debt, you see. And he is told that without doing anything at all himself, his debt is cancelled. That's the proclamation of the year of Jubilee. It isn't because he's been a good man, because he's made an effort, nothing of the sort. It is simply that God says when the 50th year comes, cancel the debts. Take up your red ink pot, put your pen in it, strike it out. The man must be discharged as a debtor without doing anything. Indeed, you notice that that uh, principle is very much stressed in the, uh, in the instructions. Take verses 11 and 12 in this 25th chapter. A jubilee shall the 50th year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy. You do nothing. And it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. But you know, even that wasn't enough. It's repeated still more specifically. Do you remember what we read later on? In verse 18 and following, Wherefore ye shall do my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land in safety. And the land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fill, and dwell therein in safety. Now listen to this. And if any shall say, What shall we eat uh, the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow, nor gather in our increase. Some incredulous people, some skeptics, for there have always been unbelievers and skeptics. Some people hearing this proclamation said, well, of course, that sounds very wonderful to say that we don't do anything for a whole year, but what are we going to eat? What about these other years? Here's the reply, if any shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow, nor gather in our increase. And here's God's reply. Then I will commend my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. God's going to give enough in one year to cover three years, so that you do nothing at all during this seventh year. And exactly the same applied to the fiftieth year. And ye shall sow then in the eighth year, and eat yet of the old fruit in the ninth year. Until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of the old star. 
Surely the teaching there is perfectly obvious, isn't it? It is all absolutely freely. The people did nothing. God gave everything. You shall eat your fill, says God, though you don't till the land nor dress your vines. It's God's good pleasure. It's all God's idea. It's all of God's good will. And the people receive and take freely and abundantly and do nothing at all. And the third element and the last element is this. It's obvious that this kind of thing could only work by faith. You see, here are people with their unbelief and their questions. They say, how can this be? If we are not to sow, well, what's going to happen in these years? Three years are indeed involved. What's going to be happening? Listen to me, says God. I will provide. And if they believed him, they found that he did provide. But if they didn't and said, ah, oh, you know, things don't work like that. Things don't come for nothing in a world like this. A man has to work hard for all he gets. Your gospel sounds very wonderful, but it doesn't work in practice. Very well, you take that attitude and you'll get nothing. But the people who took this at its face value and said, all right, down toodles. They had an abundance and a superabundance. They've just got to believe the naked word of the Lord. They've just got to exercise faith and say, though I've got no proofs at all, because it's the word of God I accept, I believe, I surrender myself to it. That's the teaching of the old year of Jubilee. The Lord Jesus Christ says that he has come into the world to proclaim and to announce the year of jubilee. What's he saying then? Well, let me translate this now, all that into New Testament and gospel terms. Salvation is entirely of God. It's God's idea. Not men's. You know, there are so many people who stumble at that very first point. They go down just there. It's almost incredible, isn't it? But it is a fact that there are still thousands of people in the world, not to say millions, who still seem to think that Christianity is man's idea. But it isn't. The essence of Christianity is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God. While man was alienated from God and rebellious against God and not thinking of God, not doing anything about him, when the fullness of the times was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. It's all of God. Now we've been tracing this through the Bible from the very beginning of Genesis right through for weeks and months. And there it is all in the Garden of Eden, you see. Man falls and there he is, miserable and ashamed, hiding himself behind the trees. He's made a fool of himself and he's bearing the consequences. What can he do? He can do nothing. And suddenly he hears the voice of God in the cool of the day. Why has God come? Has he come because Adam and Eve cried out unto him? Not at all. They didn't cry out unto him. They were afraid of him. They didn't want to see him. They were alarmed. God of his own eternal love came down to them in the garden. It's God's idea. It's God's movement. It initiates in the mind of God, in the predetermined and Counsel and foreknowledge of God before time, before the foundation of the world. God planned salvation. That's the message. As the year of Jubilee was the idea of God and the proclamation of God, so is the Christian message, the Christian gospel. It is all his good pleasure. It is all his graciousness and his love. We none of us deserve anything from God but punishment and retribution. We've not only broken his commandments, we've insulted him. We've put ourselves and our wills before him. 
We've deliberately rejected him and all he's got to say to us. And we've gone our own ways. Isn't this an amazing and a wonderful thing that in spite of that, it has pleased God to look upon us with mercy and compassion and to send his only son into this world for us and for our redemption and to announce to us a wondrous year of jubilee. It's all of God. It's God's grace. Listen to the Apostle Paul putting it in whom in Christ we have redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace. He talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. He talks about the exceeding abundant riches of the grace of God. Oh, this is the most wonderful thing in the world this evening, that with the world as it is in sin and shame and wretchedness, that God should have any interest in us or be concerned about us at all or even look upon us. But he's done it and he's planned it all and he's sent his son amongst us. That's the message. I move to my second point, which is this. The year of Jubilee began on the Day of Atonement. And all the blessings of Christianity begin in the Atonement. You see how perfect the old foreshadows the new. On the evening of the Day of Atonement, sound the trumpet. The blessings are now to come, starting with Atonement. My dear friends, it's still the same. There is no such thing as a Christian blessing except in Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is by dying on the cross on Calvary's hill that Jesus Christ introduces the year of Jubilee. It is there he does something that makes it all possible. How can I put this simply, plainly and directly? Jesus Christ didn't come into the world merely to teach. He did teach. He didn't come into the world merely to live and to show us how to live and to confront us with an example of how man really should live. He did all that. But thank God he didn't stop at that. If he'd stopped at that, well then tonight I would say that I am of all men most damned. How glibly men talk about Taking up the teaching of Christ. Have you ever read it? Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Have you ever read what it asks of you? This is the sort of thing it says. That you must not only commit physical murder, not only not commit physical murder, you mustn't even call a man a fool or hate him in your heart. You must not only not commit adultery, you must not even think of it or do it in your imagination. Be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Where are you men who say that you can follow Christ and put his teaching into practice? That's what you've got to do. Climb that mountain if you can. There is nothing, I use the word advisedly, more idiotic, more fatuous than to talk about imitating Christ and trying to live as he lived and according to his teaching. If he'd merely come to do that, I say, he damns us. No man who's honest with himself is pleased with himself or satisfied with the life he is living. Well, if you can't satisfy yourself, how can you satisfy God? No, no. 
That isn't the proclamation of a year of jubilee. The year of jubilee starts in the atonement. The gospel and its blessings all come out of the cross, the death of Jesus Christ on a hill called Calvary. It is by his blood we are ransomed and redeemed and reconciled to God and receive all our blessings. And unless you realize and see that the Son of God came into this world in order to taste death for every man, in order to die on the cross, that he had to die before anything could come to us. Well, you know, you know nothing of the blessings of the year of Jubilee. You are yet in your sins. You are not a Christian. You may be this and that, but you are not a Christian. The day of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, starts on the day of atonement. And all the blessings that we are going to remind ourselves of become ours only because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world and made his soul an offering for sin. He presented himself as the Lamb of God, and God placed our sins upon him and punished them and dealt with them there on that cross. And because of that atonement, the year of God's good pleasure is announced. The acceptable year of the Lord has been ushered in. That's the proclamation. There's the trumpet blast coming from Calvary. It starts on the Day of Atonement. The next point is, it follows, doesn't it, that we are given all this absolutely freely without our doing anything at all. Here's again a stumbling point, isn't it? People read the Bible, they listen to preaching, and they say, well, I, I must agree. I'm not living the life I ought to be. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not doing these things, and I must. I, I want to, and I must do it. Now, I resolve, I decide, I am going to live a better life. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to know God and be a Christian. Well, if that's your talk, it's a blank denial of the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, I say, go back again to Leviticus 25. The very essence of this day, this year is that you do nothing at all during it. You stop tilling the land. You stop dressing your vines. You down tools. You just receive. And it's the whole essence of the Christian message. I came, says our Lord, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. He says that he has come to give sight to the blind. That's his message everywhere. And yet men are still trying to make themselves Christian. And they think that what makes them Christian is that they are living a good life or doing this or that. I go on repeating this because it's the thing that people repeat to me. It's the reply of the gospel to them. The whole essence of this message is that without doing anything, you are given all this as a free gift. You down tools. You say, nothing in my hand I bring. I do nothing at all. I accept what has been done for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ and its blessings is the free gift, the free grace of God. So that I've got a very simple test that I can apply to anybody who's listening to me at this moment. Do you see that you can become a Christian here and now? You don't have to wait a second. You'll be, no, you'll be in no better condition to become a Christian in a day, a week, a month, a year, ten years, a hundred years. You can become a Christian at once the moment you see your need and see the free grace of God, the free offer of God. And if you don't take it at once, it means you're not seeing it clearly. You're still thinking about yourself and what you are going to do or what you can do or what you might do. And that cancels it all. It's the free gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should burst. Entirely free. 
So that though you may have lived a life of terrible sin until you came into this building, though you may have come into this building as it were out of the very mouth of hell, it doesn't make any difference at all. You may have come in your rags, in your filth, in your vileness, but believe me, my friend, you can have it at this moment as much as the most respectable member of this congregation. It has nothing to do with us. It is entirely the gift of God. In Jesus Christ his Son. That's the whole message of the year of Jubilee. It is the message of the acceptable year of the Lord. But therefore, you see, it does include that last point, doesn't it? The only thing that you and I have to do is to believe it. That's faith. You believe the naked word of God. That is faith. Ah, but you say, like these people, look here, I don't follow this. There are three years involved. You say, do nothing on on this seventh year, but I I shall be in difficulties on the eighth and even on the ninth. What do I do? Shall I starve on the seventh, eighth, and ninth? And there was no answer to them except just to say this. Well, God says that he will give enough on the sixth year to last three years. Do you believe it? And you see, you give proof of whether you believe it or not by acting on it. It's not you saying, all right, I believe the word of God, and then you begin to plow your land, and you begin to harrow it, and you go and have a look at your vine, and you say, this needs a little pruning here and there. That's an utter cancellation of it all, and there's no blessing. You just believe it. And take it on nothing but the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You just believe God's naked word. Ah, but that's the difficulty, isn't it? People come and they say, now this is all very well. I listen to this talk about forgiveness and rebirth and new life and regeneration. But I don't understand this and how can... You've already denied it all. Those were the words of the Lord to Nicodemus, wasn't it? How can these things be? Man, listen, says Christ, you don't understand it. I'm telling you, you've got to be born again. You've got to become as a little child. You've got to go back and admit you understand nothing. You've just got to listen as the child and believe it and give yourself to it. Faith. You down tools, you do nothing. And then you'll have the surprise of your life and you'll eat to your fill and you'll rejoice in the fat of the land. Those are the characteristics of this glorious salvation. It is, I say then, a free salvation. But I would also emphasize that it is a finished salvation. And I've already indicated to you how. Let me remind you of the headings. Here it is. What are the blessings that this glorious year of Jubilee, this acceptable year of the Lord, bring us? What are they? Well, listen. First and foremost, debts cancelled, debts erased, the ledgers cleared, freedom remission of all that I owe. I sometimes wish I could speak with the voice of an angel just to say that as it should be said. My dear friend, however heavy the debt you owe, whatever the condition of the ledgers this evening, you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and that he died for you and for your sins. And I have the authority of God to tell you this. Your debts will be entirely cancelled here and now. Your past sins will be blotted out, every one of them. Nothing will be left. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Do you remember the words our Lord once used on one occasion in which he put this perfectly? He spoke a parable about two debtors. You'll find it in the seventh chapter of this gospel according to St. Luke from which we are considering these words. And he said there were two debtors, one owed 500 pence and another 50 pence. And when they had nothing wherewith to pay, he frankly forgave them both. That's it. It doesn't matter how much you owe. It doesn't matter whether you're what you call a big sinner or a medium sinner or a little sinner. It's all irrelevant. These categories don't come into the Bible. It doesn't matter how terrible your sin has been. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died for you and your sins and it's all cancelled. As every debt was cancelled in the year of Jubilee, Christ has come and because he's died for your sins on Calvary's cross, God throws your sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. He's already dealt with them. He's already punished them. The price has already paid. Another has come from heaven and has put his name, his signature. He's provided the money. Nothing is needed from you. You know you owe nothing. Without money and without price, says the prophet Isaiah. Yes, that's it. It's the free grace of God. Your debts are cancelled. Secondly, he has come to set the slaves at freedom. We've already looked at this. I therefore just summarize it. Christ Jesus, if you believe in him, will deliver you and set you free from the thraldom and the tyranny of the world and the flesh and the devil. Listen to the Apostle John putting it. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And we all are slaves to the world and its way, and its whole idea of living, and all its insinuation, and all its inferno. And how can a man overcome the world and its mind and its spirit? He cannot, except in Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ he can. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, you see the world in a different way. You see through it. You see it for what it is. You see that its glittering prizes are but tawdry trash. You see through it all. You see beyond it all. And you're linked to a power that is greater than it all. Ah, yes, he enables us to overcome the world and also the flesh and the devil. John says in that same first epistle, the whole world lieth in the evil one, in the embrace of Satan. That's the position of the world. But we are not, he says, ye are of God, little children. And that evil one toucheth you not. In Christ. You are no longer under the dominion of Satan. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That is the liberty. We are free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And positively, we are free to serve God and to enjoy him. That is to me the most marvelous thing of all. You see, a man who's not a Christian, he isn't free to enjoy God, and he isn't free to serve God. He's not allowed to be holy. The devil stops him, he prevents him. But the moment you're in Christ and believe in him and accept his message, he'll set you free to love God and to enjoy God and to serve God and to become more and more like Christ. That's the freedom, the glorious liberty of the children of God. Captives are set at liberty. And you remember the third and the last characteristic of the year of Jubilee was this. That the property was restored. The estate that had been forfeited had to be returned. And the man who had lost his possession was given his possession back. I have come, says Christ, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I've come, I'm a trumpet blast, announcing that God's goodwill amongst men has come. The property is to be given back to all who believe. What do you mean by the property, says someone? Oh, I'll tell you. You know, don't you, the property that you've lost. 
It's your soul. The Son of Man, says the blessed Lord, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What is lost? Well, he puts it like this on another occasion. What shall it profit a man though he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This thing that God gave men at the beginning, God made man in his own image. The soul, the thing that corresponds to God, uprightness, likeness to God, capacity for God, we've lost it as the result of sin. That's the property, that's the estate that's lost. We've lost our true life. And Christ has announced and does announce that he's come to give you back your lost estate. To restore to you your inheritance and your property that you'd forfeited in sin as all other men have done. I am come, he says, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. My dear friend, without Christ, what we call life in this world is nothing but mere existence. It isn't life. Life means to know God and to live with him and to enjoy him. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, not only gives you forgiveness of sins and the liberty of which I've been speaking, do you know he does something more wonderful than both? He makes you a child of God. He brings you back into a relationship to God. You remember what he said of those Jews that didn't believe in him? He said, you are of your father the devil, and the works of your father ye will do. But he has come to make us children of God. God takes us back into the family. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Listen to our Lord again saying it. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that's astounding, but he said it. And you see, you either believe it or you don't. Or you like the man who said, ah, but what about these three years? But there it is. The meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You may be a pauper in this world, but if you're a Christian, there's a day coming when you'll be one of the owners of the universe. The Apostle Paul puts that in these words. He says, Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world, and know ye not that the saints shall judge angels. That's the amazing thing that he proclaims. That in the day that is going to come in the future, when Christ will have returned to judge the world, there will be a terrible catastrophe, a conflagration. There will be a judgment and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And the world as such shall be destroyed. And there shall be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And if you have believed Christ and his message and have surrendered your life to him, you will be with him walking on the face of that renovated earth under the new heavens, and enjoying the fat of the land, dwelling in glory, changed into his image, like him. That's what he offers. The property, the estate restored. My dear friend, I have but one question to ask you. Have you heard the trumpet sounding? You know something about your debt, don't you? You know something about the slavery. You're aware of the loss. You've lost your chastity, your purity, your honesty, your character. You've lost your soul. You don't know God. 
You're aware of your need, and haven't you often felt a longing, oh, that I could get rid of this load that's on my shoulders, this debt of sin, oh, that it could go, that I could get rid of it, but I cannot. You've longed to be set free from your debt. You've longed to be set free from the captivity to the world and the flesh and the devil. And you've longed for life that is worthy of the name of life. You've sought, you haven't found. You've wished. I'm just asking you a simple question. Don't you hear some strange sound this evening? Haven't you heard something that sounds like a trumpet being sounded in the distance? Didn't you hear some trumpet blast as I've been speaking? Hasn't there something moved in your mind and in your heart? Haven't you heard some strange music that you've never heard hitherto? Haven't you said, I felt I heard something? There seemed to be a hope. Was there a trumpet announcing something? Have you heard the Son of God telling you that he came into this world for you? That he came because he loved you and because he had mercy and compassion and pity upon you? Have you heard him telling you that he has borne your sins in his own body on the tree? Oh, listen. Listen, I say. And offer this prayer to him. Speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. Oh, how passing sweet thy word. Breathing o'er my troubled spirit peace, which never earth affords. All the world's distracting vices. All its enticing tones of ill. At thine accents mild. Melodious are subdued and all is still. Ask him to silence these other raucous voices of the world that you may hear his gentle whisper and you may therefore be able to say with the Apostle Paul from this night I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The acceptable year of the Lord has come. It was inaugurated on Calvary's cross. The trumpet has sounded. It is speaking to you. Believe it. Accept it. Tell him so. Give yourself to him. Act upon his word. Believe him without hesitation or doubt. And you will experience that it is true.